Hey, what's good? This is Black Simba. This is the fourth podcast. This is, um, it's going to get into the house of Judah. This is the final uh, podcast for the cornerstone of the articles. After this, we will get into um, each of the tribes. So a lot of information to go over. But before I get started, I just wanted to remind people that when I'm talking about this Hebrew anthropology, I'm talking about the major dispersions. Okay, so there there are other dispersions of Hebrews outside of what we're going to focus on. Um, such as, you know, we'll get into the transatlantic slave trade, but um, something that's not brought up is like the Arab slave traders who also traded Hebrews or the Moors going into and occupying Europe for 700 years. Um, that will come up in one of the tribe um, podcasts coming up, but I'm not I don't end up focusing on it because there's it was a very small amount of Hebrews and um Anyway, there's there's other dispersions, um, but these are the major dispersions that we're focusing on. So, also the music I use is uh, it's by an artist named Ben Blackwell. Um, ben Blackwell is awesome, I think. So, if you guys want to check him out, feel free to do so. Um, the sources for passages and statements that I use. Um, books, journals, historians, all that is online in my uh, articles. Uh, You can check them out through my website, blacksimba.com, B-L-A-K-S-I-M-B-A.com. If you just want to do your own homework or you're feeling skeptical about what I'm saying, please do your, you know, you can always look up this information um, through my website or on um, my Medium profile, Black Simba. So, Anyway, uh, with that said, let's get into the house of Judah. The house of Judah was allowed to come back to their own land after Babylonian captivity, but like the northern kingdom, they strayed from God and were unfaithful. Violence, hostility, and tension followed them through the Hellenistic kingdom era, and Judah, known as Judea by this time, were under Roman rule by the end of the Hasmonean era, 73 to 63 BC. These attacks were nothing, however, compared to the siege on the Hebrews, or Jews, that was endured from 66 to 73 AD, and specifically the siege on Jerusalem in 70 AD was especially horrific. Yeshua prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jews being enslaved when he walked the earth. This is, uh, this is Yeshua in, uh, in the book of Luke. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out. And those out in the country should not return to the city. For those will be days of God's vengeance, and the prophetic words of the scriptures will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world, and Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. That's Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 24. Um, Notate that, you know, mentally or whatever, we're going to come back to this. Now, Yeshua walked the earth from about 1 to 33 AD, and he is prophesying about the future enslavement of the Jews. Josephus or Flavius Josephus, Joseph ben Matthias, a witness at the time of the siege on Jerusalem, 
claims over 1.1 million people were killed during the initial siege alone, of which a majority were Jews. 97,000 Jews were captured and enslaved, and others fled to Mediterranean areas and Africa for refuge. During this terrible period of suffering, there were mass starvations, and some Jews even resulted to cannibalism. There were so many crucifixions in this area during this time that wood became scarce. Eusebius, a church historian that wrote in the early 300s AD, quotes Josephus saying, And as Titus went around and saw the trenches filled with the dead, he groaned aloud, and raising his hands called God to witness that this was not his doing. That's Eusebius, a church historian? That was written about 325 AD. Uh, that's book 3, chapter 6. Um, for those that you know, look things, these things up. Um, I just want to, this is just a warning that there's, um, a detailed cannibalistic story in there. So read at your own discretion. So even the conqueror Titus was disturbed by what he saw enough to proclaim that it was not his doing from the war and even refused a wreath of victory. And this coming from the same man that opted to destroy the famed temple in Jerusalem. These events and destruction dating back to Pompey the Great resulted in multitudes of Jews fleeing Israel, as well as the slave markets being flooded with Jews. It is estimated that over one million Jews fled into Africa during this tumultuous time period of history, as we've seen so many times before when Jews have been exiled. And also, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, Tacitus, a Roman historian, even states his thoughts on the origins of the Jews to be descended from Africans. He says, others assert that in the reign of Isis, the overflowing population of Egypt, led by Herosolimus and Judas, discharged itself into the neighboring countries. Many again say that they were a race of Ethiopian origin. So that's Tacitus, a Roman historian. That's History 5, uh, Theories of Jewish Origins. And that was written around 105 AD, so very early on. So it makes a lot of sense that these Jews would flee to a continent where they could easily hide among Africans. But how do we know the direction of migrations of these Jews after exile? Africa is the second largest continent on earth, so there is a lot of land to choose from where they could have hid. Um, now here online, I have maps. And uh, in the first map here, or uh, this one is a, a actual painting, um, in the below text and above, it says the crowning of the king of Wida, which is Judah in French. And that's a painting from 1723. Um, I have various uh, maps that show the kingdom of Judah on the African West Coast, uh, right under uh, the Dahomey region. And once, uh, or a couple of them, but specifically one of these maps show the kingdom of Judah. It says Orwida. Again, that's um, Judah in French. And then it says Slave Coast. So the Slave Coast is right on the kingdom of Judah. And these are all various maps made by different cartographers um, at different points. Uh, 1747. This one's from 1743. This one's 1737. This one's from 1790. So the, if you guys can, I would recommend at least to look at those maps online. Um, also though, if you look at the original names of those African slaves that were captured during the transatlantic slave trades, 
many of them had Hebrew names. Um, SearchingSlaveVoyages.org, uh, which is a database of those that boarded slave ships during the, slant, the transatlantic slave trade, just for names with Yah, which is a short for the name of God, um, such as Hallelujah, Kumbaya. Um, those returned over 800 matches. The term Jah had over 400 there are also markings etched into the pews of the First African Baptist Church in Savannah, Georgia, that appear to be cursive Hebrew, suggesting that these African slaves and or their ancestors may have wrote and spoke Hebrew at one point. Now, once in the Americas, slaves were forced to speak English and were prohibited from learning to read and write. It was also forbidden to speak their native languages or use their true names. So this is quite an amazing and rare find. But what does Jewish writings have to say in regards to what happened to the house of Judah? And does it pertain to what we're talking about? So I mentioned initially in the first article, the curses of disobedience from Deuteronomy 28. So we're going to look at those right now. It says the Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, scurvy and the itch from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will strike you with madness, blindness and panic. You will grope around in broad daylight like a blind person groping in the darkness, but you will not find your way. You will be oppressed and robbed continually, and no one will come to save you. You will be engaged to a woman, but another man will sleep with her. You will build a house, but someone else will live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will never enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be butchered before your eyes, but you will not eat a single bite of the meat. Your donkey will be taken from you, never to be returned. Your sheep and goats will be given to your enemies, and no one will be there to help you. You will watch as your sons and daughters are taken away as slaves. Your heart will break for them, but you won't be able to help them. A foreign nation you have never heard about will eat the crops you work so hard to grow. You will suffer under constant oppression and harsh treatment. You will go mad because of all the tragedy you see around you. That's Deuteronomy 28, verses 27 through 34. And then in 36, it says, The Lord will exile you and your king to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. There in exile, you will worship gods of wood and stone. You will become an object of horror, ridicule, and mockery among all the nations to which the Lord sends you. That's Deuteronomy 28, 36 and 37. And then here at the end of the chapter, it says, There among those nations, you will find no peace or place to rest. And the Lord will cause your heart to tremble, your eyesight to fail, and your soul to despair. Your life will constantly hang in the balance. You will live night and day in fear, unsure if you will survive. In the morning you will say, if only it were night. And in the evening you will say, if only it were morning. For you will be terrified by the awful horrors you see around you. Then the Lord will send you back to Egypt and ships, to a destination I promised you would never see again. There you will offer to sell yourselves to your enemies as slaves, but no one will buy you. And that's Deuteronomy 28, verses 65 through 68. So here we end up having somewhat of a um, prereqs to who the Hebrews are and how they will be taken. Obviously, they will be taken as slaves, right? But it also says a foreign nation you have never heard about will come for you, right? So that's that's interesting. And it says, you will become an object of horror, ridicule, and mockery among all the nations to which the Lord sends you. So you will be low in those nations. And it also says, 
you will constantly live in fear and you will be sent back to Egypt in ships. Now, that particular passage is very interesting because Israel and Egypt have always bordered each other. So there is no need for ships to be used since they can simply walk the enslaved across the bordering countries. It is very possible this is a metaphor to point out a very unique bondage. There has never been a situation such as the transatlantic slave trade where Europeans chose out an entire continent, Africa, for themselves to import a peoples they weren't warring with so that they could build their empires for them in the Americas and West Indies. These passages point to those that were taken to the Americas or New Egypt on slave ships whose ports were on the coast of the West African Kingdom of Judah. And if you look at maps um, uh, for the West Coast of Africa uh, in the 1800s, even in the early 1800s, the Kingdom of Judah is gone completely decimated from the, the transatlantic slave trade. Current estimates show that about 12 million slaves were shipped out from Africa, but the actual number is presumably higher after factoring in the high death rate from disease. Those warriors lost defending themselves and their towns in West Africa and those lost at sea. Some estimating uh, 45 million Africans died. Whatever the actual number is was high enough to stagnate the entire population of the African continent until the end of the 19th century. If you look at a modern map of West Africa, you can still find the city of Ouida, um, especially the, uh, the, the port. It's on the, um, the coast of Benin. There are also many forgotten journal writings from explorers in different parts of Africa where they ran into Jews or spoke of them in passing and documented their experiences. So this first one, is uh, from Sir Harry H. Johnson uh, from his book, The Negro in the New World, uh, 1910. Now here in the subtext that I'm gonna read here, it says, the Jews are composed of three or four separate racial elements. The Asiatic Negroid strain shows itself occasionally in the curly hair, the long eye, and proportions of the skull. The Jewish hybrids with the Negro in Jamaica and Guyana reproduce most strikingly the Assyrian type. It is quite conceivable that the Great Peninsula of Arabia was once populated, as far as its natural conditions allowed, by a primitive Negro stock, which may have been later on partially exterminated by changing and unfavorable conditions of climate and by the aftercoming of the white man and his types. So really interesting there, because aside from Jews um, being associated to black people here, which is consistent with what we've been talking about. It also says that the Arabian Peninsula, he concludes, was um, originally uh, Negroes or black people, which is also consistent with the Hamites going into that, uh, that area, uh, the descendants of Ham, which we talked about uh, prior. So let's go on to the next... Um, the next one is this is from El Haj Abdi Salam Shabini, and he says, uh, I guess from page 187, Yahudi, a place of great trade. This place is reported to be inhabited by one of the lost tribes of Israel, possibly an immigration from the tribe of Judah. Yahuda in African Arabic signifies Judah, Yahudi signifies Jew. It is not impossible that many of the lost tribes of Israel may be found dispersed in the interior regions of Africa. When we shall become better acquainted with that continent, it is certain 
that some of the nations that possess the country eastward of Palestine, when the Israelites were a favored nation, have immigrated to Africa. And that's from an account of Timbuktu and Hausa, uh, 1820. Uh, this one is from John Ogilvy, uh, his book, America Being an Accurate Description of the New World. Um, that was in 1671. This is page 574. It says, The Portuguese that dwelt on this island informed the Netherlanders that few lived above 50 years there. Yet notwithstanding the great gain tempted them to tarry, several of them having two or three hundred Negroes that worked in the sugar mills, that John III, King of Portugal, sent a colony thither about 200 years before, whom though the unwholesome air destroyed, yet the place was not left desolate. For he sent new inhabitants, who first settled in Guinea, next in Angola, and lastly on the island St. Thomas, that so they might be the better used to the air, that the said king sold all those Jews for slaves that refused to embrace the Roman religion and caused their children to be baptized, from whom, coming thither in great numbers, most of the present inhabitants were descended. And here's another one uh, from Friends Intelligencer, Volume 10. This one says, but this is not all. Other curious details reached Dr. Philip from another source. A Jew who had accompanied a German traveler as far as Timbuktu found near the boundary of Bambara a large number of Jewish Negroes. Nearly every family among them possesses the law of Moses, written upon parchment. Although they speak of the prophets, they have not their writings. Their prayers differ from those of other Jews and are committed to little leaves of parchment stitched together and contain numerous passages derived from the Psalms. These Jews have mingled some of the superstitions of oral law, which they have not committed to writing, with those of their neighbors, the Mohammedans, and the heathen. These journals reveal a lot. One thing in particular that was especially incredible is the writings that speak of these Jews in passing. They knew that they were Jews in some instances and still used them as slaves. How could a prominent slave port sit on the slave coast of Africa and them not realize it was sitting on the coast of the kingdom of Judah? So many of, the, of these slave ships knowingly took Jewish uh, Hebrew slaves into the Americas to be tortured, literally worked to death, and worst of all, separated from each other. And all the while, many of their perpetrators claiming to be Christian. All those an whose ancestors were taken on slave ships to be in the Americas and the West Indies were exiled Hebrews from the house of Judah. They were hiding in Africa among the Africans and were taken prisoners into this new Egypt. No wonder we are still murdered in the streets by law enforcement with no consequences from our judicial system. No wonder our communities are starved off financially and our schools are lacking in all aspects. No wonder our heritage and history is not taught in schools and we are forced to pass on what we know of ourselves via word of mouth from generation to generation. No wonder we are hated and despised and people are repulsed by us and yet ready to steal our very identity, ready to use us for their own greed and for their own entertainment. This is why they, do, they don't listen to us when we try and explain our experiences through our movies, through our music and arts. This is why our voices fall on deaf ears and this is why we are shushed even when we silently kneel in protest of our injustices. And yet as disgusted as people are with us, Yeshua honors us when he was born among us with his dark skin and woolly hair. Yahweh brought his son up from David's line, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah. To my Hebrew brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, take heart and have courage. We are under the curses mentioned because we were disobedient, but they will not last forever. Baruch says, take courage, my people who perpetuate Israel's name. It was not for destruction that you were sold to the nations, but you were handed over to your enemies because you angered God, for you provoked the one who made you by sacrificing to demons and not to God. That's Baruch uh, ver uh, chapter 4, verse 5 through 7. And then in the same chapter, chapter later on, he says, Take courage, my children, cry to God, and he will deliver you from the power and hand of the enemy. For I have put my hope in the everlasting to save you, and joy has come to me from the Holy One, because of the mercy that will soon come to you from your everlasting Savior. And this is Baruch uh, chapter 4, still, uh, 21-22. Now, in Zephaniah, he specifically calls to Hebrews beyond the African rivers. So he says, At that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call on the name of Yah, and serve him with one accord, from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, my scattered ones, shall bring my offering. That's Zephaniah chapter 3, 9 and 10. We must turn to Yahweh to save us through his son Yeshua. We must study the Jewish writings because they belong to us. I've looked into some DNA research, but to be honest, we don't even have to do that because we know that our ancient ancestors were dark-skinned peoples, which I've already poured over. I brought up the many scriptures of the dispersion of the Jews so we can easily tell that those living in Israel now are not the true lineage of the Hebrews. How could they be the true children of God when the Hebrews have been dispersed throughout the world? This is Ezekiel. He says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the sovereign Yah says, O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am Yah. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, Yah, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, Yah has spoken. That's Ezekiel 37, verses 11 through 14. In the next verses, he talks about the complete restoration of all of Israel. So here he says, And again, a message came to me from Yah, son of man, take a piece of wood and carve on it these words. This represents Judah and its allied tribes. Then take another piece and carve these words on it. This represents Ephraim and the northern tribes of Israel. Now hold them together in your hand as if they were one piece of wood. When your people ask you what your actions mean, say to them, this is what the sovereign Yah says. I will take Ephraim and the northern tribes and join them to Judah. I will make them one piece of wood in my hand. Then hold out the pieces of wood you have inscribed so that people can see them and give them this message from the sovereign Yah. I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations. I will bring them home to their own land from the places where they have been scattered. I will unify them into one nation on the mountains of Israel. One king will rule them all. No longer will they be divided into two nations or into two kingdoms. 
And that's Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 15 through 22. So with this scripture, we understand that both kingdoms, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, would be completely exiled until the end times. So who exactly are those that live in Israel now? It's a modern belief that all people that aren't Jews are Gentiles. But this is what Moses states in Genesis. The sons of Japheth, Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanum. From these, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. And that's Genesis chapter 10, uh, verses 2 through 5. Here we have Moses using the term Gentiles well before the Hebrews were considered Jews. How then could everyone else in the world be Gentiles before we even knew who the Jews would be? The term Jew doesn't even come up in the Bible until 2 Kings. So why is he speaking of the Gentiles already? Also, if the Gentiles mean everyone else aside from Jews, why then did Moses only choose to use this term speaking of the sons of Japheth and not with the sons of Ham, whom he talks about later on in the same chapter? He talks about Shem's descendants, but Shem's descendants are Semitic, so we know that Gentiles wouldn't be through them. Why even speak of Japheth's descendants first and single them out before Shem, who was older than Japheth? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was chosen by God and specifically sent out to the Gentiles, so his journeys would also tell us where the Gentiles were located. If you do a simple search of Paul's journeys, you will see all the places that he goes. And he had, I believe it was four journeys. Um, the last one to Rome, where he was unfortunately beheaded. But he is constantly going into uh, European uh, cities and in, into Asia Minor. Also, we can, um, we can follow that through uh, the letters that he wrote to, um, to Ephesus and to Thessalonica, to Colossae, to all these um, European cities. What that tells us is that only those descendants through Japheth are Gentiles, those that colonized Europe, Asia Minor, and into North Asia. Uh, this entire series is dedicated to the Hebrew diaspora, which means they would be pushed out of their own land. So clearly they are no longer in that area. The house of Israel having migrated to the Americas early on, and the house of Judah being exiled up to first century AD, mainly into Africa and eventually brought into the Americas via the transatlantic slave trade. Yeshua ended his prophecy, the one that I talked about initially in this, uh, in this podcast. He ends that prophecy with, and they, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So that was Luke chapter uh, 21, verse 24. So if the descendants of Japheth were the Gentiles, it would explain the fall of Jerusalem to the Romans, who are Gentiles, in 70 AD, and the takeover of the Romans at that time, bringing Yeshua's prophecy to fulfillment. As anyone can see, as they look at the events happening around the world, truly this is the time of the Gentiles we are living in. 
Yeshua states later in the same chapter, speaking to the same people, he says, So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. That's chapter, uh, that's still Luke chapter 21, that's verse 31 and 32. So here we know that Jerusalem would be taken by the Gentiles and that it would happen soon, even in those people's own lifetimes, as he is clearly talking about events that will happen to them in the near future. The takeover of Judea in 70 AD by Roman Gentiles is within the time frame, and many of those from that generation would have still been alive to see it. The true Hebrews from the house of Judah were brought here into the Americas and West Indies from Africa on slave ships and have been suffering under Gentile oppression ever since. And all the while, the house of Israel, indigenous Americans, was right here suffering as well. They are the Hebrew children of the Northern Kingdom. We should be united together. We are Hebrew brothers and sisters that will one day be called back to Zion. We must continue to wake each other, each other up to this truth. We are not just children of slaves and the children of the native multitudes have an origin themselves. We are the Hebrew remnant, the dispersion of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what the apostle Paul says. He says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves, because he chose their ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you, so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience, so he could have mercy on everyone. That's Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 32.